You guys can grab a seat. Uh, my name is Ricky. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, it's great to be with you here this morning. And uh, we've been going through the book of Ephesians. And I hope as we've been going through, this has been an encouragement to you to get in the Word and, and to open up the Bible and, and to see, hey, what is this all about, this letter that's written to these, these Christians, to this church in this town of Ephesus? Um, <clears throat> Now, I am a huge Husker football fan. I, I, yes, I really get into it. I like going to the games. I will, you know, hey, on a Saturday, if we're playing, my schedule revolves around that. And I do subscribe to a website that I pay money to look at the stuff that they post on there. Um, get into recruiting, all of that. And so my dad, he, he never went to college. And so he's, he's never been a part of kind of really a big program or anything like that. And... They live in New Mexico, and so one time they're up here, and I'm telling them about it. I'm like, oh, man, it's so awesome. You know, you go to the game, and uh, it's so much fun, and, uh, you know, you're high-fiving people that you never met when we scored a touchdown, and, you know, you hug each other, and it's great. Um, gosh, you really got to experience this. I really want you to just see how cool this is. I want you to know this. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that seems, that seems cool. And I'm like, uh, no, you're not really getting it, you know, like, and I want you to really know this. And so I, I'm, I just say, man, you just got to go to a game with me. And so eventually I get some tickets, uh, and we're going to head to a game. And so beforehand, of course, hey, we got to go to Shields. I need you to get a Husker sweater. You know, man, we're really going to get into this. And hey, Dad, when, when people are saying, go Big Red, you say, go Big Red. Yeah, so cool. And then, hey, when we get in the stadium, they're going to do Husker power. And then you're going to be wondering, like, how many more times are we going to do this? <laughs> like, do they not plan this to just say, we're doing it five times and we're done? Nope, nope, they'll just keep going. It's so fun. Um, and so we go to the game. Have a great time, and I'm thinking, oh gosh, you know, we won the game. Man, my dad, my dad's gonna be in. He's gonna be the biggest fan. And we get done, and he's just kind of like, I'm like, man, what'd you think? Yeah, yeah, thanks for taking me. That was good. Man, okay. I went through a lot of trouble here. I mean, all of this effort is so that you can really know what it's like to really be a Husker fan. I mean, I want you to reorient your life around. This thing where, you know, these kids play with the ball. I mean, come on. It's so fun, you know. And so that was my thing. It's just like I went to all of this trouble just for him to know what it really is about Husker football and what it's like to be a fan. And today we're going to be looking at this prayer by Paul. And he is going to all of this trouble and he's just saying, hey, I'm praying for you that you can really know something. So that you can really get something, get someone, and that it changes your life. So with that, I invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, and so, you know, it'll be 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, and then Ephesians. If you've gotten to anything else that ends in Eons after that, you're in the wrong book. You've gone too far. So, Philippians, or sorry, that was, that's after Ephesians. Ephesians 1. 15, Paul says this, he says, for this reason, because of everything that I've just been talking to you about, the, the spiritual blessings that you have in God, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards the saints. So, I mean, first off, th these are like the two things that should really mark us as Christians, as a believer to just say, hey, wh what is it? You have faith in God and you're loving each other. 
Right? I mean, when, when somebody comes to Jesus and they say, hey, what's the most important commandment? Jesus says, well, the, the first is that you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. And so we, Paul is hearing this report back about these, this church in Ephesus. And it's like, hey, you're doing this, right? You're, you're loving God, you're trusting him, and you're loving each other. And so because of that, verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I do not cease to give thanks for you. And, and so Paul, his attitude towards this church is of thankfulness. Not being critical, but thankfulness. And so just a question is, as you approach church or, 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 or the people of church, what is your attitude? Right? What is your attitude towards church? Or do you have this thankfulness of what God is doing or kind of like this critical spirit? critical heart, right? Because when we live in a really critical culture, I mean, you turn on the news, you know, it's just like, hey, this side's bashing that side. You turn on the other channel, they're bashing the other side. You go to YouTube, oh, let's just see. Should I give this a thumbs up or a thumbs down? Uh, Do I like this? Do I not? I'm always going to share my opinion. And so we just kind of have this thing of, hey, let's, let's be critical sometimes. And I think we could come into that, into church with that same mindset of just, hey, what, what are they not doing right? What should they be doing better? And, and some of that is just because of our pride, right? That we just kind of think, hey, this is for me. And if they're not doing the things that I want them to do, I don't know if I really like it, right? Because we kind of make church about us. Um, and and the really, there is no perfect church, right? And I mean, if, if, if you've been here and you haven't been disappointed yet, just stick around a little bit longer. We'll disappoint you. <laughs> I mean, it's coming, right? But... And and it's not this thing of where we want to gloss over faults or anything like that. I mean, there's this church uh, you see in Corinthians. I mean, they are messed up. I mean, really messed up. I mean, they're doing some things where it's like, I mean, this is like making soap operas look really good stuff. And and Paul, I mean, he does address these sins and these issues that they're facing, but he even thanks God for them, right? And so we can also just, what's our heart, our attitude towards church of just, God, I'm thankful for these people, and thank you for what you're doing in their life, and I'm thank you, thankful for what you're doing. And I just want to let you guys know, I love my church. If I didn't work here, I would go here. I would belong to, to this body of Christ. I love you guys. I love our staff. I love our volunteers. I love our city group leaders. Um, as me and my family came into City of Light, I mean, we just felt so welcomed so loved, and people have been really generous to us in many ways, and, and we've just felt like, thank you for welcoming us in to your family, and I'm so thankful that we just continue to center everything around Jesus Christ, and he's just doing amazing things, and, and I'm being honest here, there is literally not a week that I can remember that goes by that I don't, at some point in the week, start tearing up because of what God's doing, and so just thank you. Thank you for, uh, for being awesome, for surrendering to Christ, and just let me be a part of what he's doing. And so Paul here, he, he's thanking God, God for them. And then in verse, um, let's see, verse 17, this is, this is also what he's praying. So he's praying that to God for the, being thankful. And he's praying, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Some other translations say that you, I'm praying that you would know God better. And so that's just the first point, the first observation. Paul is praying that we can really know God. 
that we can really know God. And notice what Paul doesn't pray. Paul doesn't pray, hey, I really want you to know yourself. If you could just know yourself better, right? I mean, that's kind of what our culture says. Hey, really know thyself. If you really, the most important thing is for you to know yourself better. And, but Paul is saying like, no, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing for you to know is God. And if you really even want to know yourself, know the one who created you, right? And so he's just saying, hey, pray. I'm praying that you can know God. And, and all of this stuff, I mean, that, I mean, think again. Paul is writing for this letter while he's in prison. And he's writing to these people in Ephesus, these Christians. And he, earlier in this chapter, I mean, he just laid down some pretty amazing things, some pretty thick and dense things. Hey, you've been chosen, you've been predestined, you've been adopted, you've been redeemed, you've been forgiven, you've been sealed with the Spirit, all of these things. And then he just pauses for this moment, just like, man, how are we going to really understand all of that? I'm going to pray to God. I'm going to ask God to enlighten us. I'm going to ask God to give us understanding because we can't do this on our own. He's so big. He's so great. We need his help. And, and so we need God's power. We need the Holy Spirit to understand who God really is. I mean, we can come to church every week. We can memorize all these verses. We could be reading the Bible. We could be doing all of these things and just getting more and more information about God, but not really getting to know who he is. And Paul's just saying, hey, for that to really happen, that, that's got to be because of what God is doing. You can't do that on your own. We need his help for us to understand him. And again, Paul is saying, I want you to know him, not know stuff about him. That's not what Paul prays. He doesn't say, hey, I just want you to know more stuff about him. I, I just want you to know more about the Bible. I just want you to have a good preacher, any of those things. No, I mean, those are fine things. But Paul is saying, there's something more amazing than that, something bigger. I want you to know God. I want you to really know him. And this, this idea of knowing that, that Paul is talking about here, it kind of carries the same sense of uh, back in the Garden of Eden when you had the first man, the first woman, Adam and Eve, and Adam knew his wife. He knew Eve. And so it's talking about this, this closeness, this intimacy, this deep relationship. And Paul's saying, that's how I want you to know God. I want you to really know him. I know a lot of stuff about LeBron James. Right? I know that he came directly out of high school in Ohio and came to the NBA, was drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers. I know that there was this thing on ESPN called The Decision and where he took his talents to South Beach in Miami. And a lot of people didn't like that. I know that he's won uh, a few NBA championships. I also know that he's lost some. I know that currently... He is, whether you like it or not, he is still the best player in the NBA. But I also know that Michael Jordan is better, yeah. right? In case you're wondering, it's still Michael Jordan. And I know all of these things about him. But if I went to, to Cleveland and just said, hey, King James, it's me, your boy. He'd be like, Who? Uh, but yeah, yeah. And then, you know, be like, all right, you know, if he saw me shoot a basketball, he'd be like, I definitely don't know you. Um, and the thing is, like, even though I know all of these things about him, I don't really know him. And do you know God the same way I know LeBron James? Is that how you typically relate to God? Well, like, hey, you know all this stuff about God, but do you really know God? 
in this close and real way. Or Jesus, he says this in John 17, 3. He says, and this is eternal life. Hey, this is real life. This is what life is really all about. This is eternal life to know the one and only true God and that they know Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That's what he's saying it's all about. I want you to really know God. I mean, think of Moses in the Old Testament. I mean, Moses, he, he saw God do incredible things. He saw God send all these plagues on Egypt and punk them. He saw God part the waters. He saw God in a pillar of fire by night and a cloud of smoke by day. I mean, all of these things that, that Moses gets to see. God gave him the Ten Commandments. And then God's like, hey, what do you want? And Moses says this, I want to see you. I've been around you for a lot, and I want more of you. I want to know you even more closely. And Paul here is saying, yes, that is what I'm praying for you, church. I'm praying that you could know God. And so the question is, is, are we really knowing God, the real God, the way that he's revealed himself to us through Jesus and the scriptures? Or do we really know the God that our minds conceive of him to be? Hey, I think God is like this. And that's the God that we kind of start to know. Is really the one that we've just made up of kind of in our minds. And I don't know about you, but I would say the biggest danger for me that I face isn't, hey, do I accept God? Do I reject him? It's usually not that. It's usually I reduce God. Right? My, my, my concept of God it becomes diminished. I make him just kind of small. And I know some of that is because, hey, there's a, he's an infinite God. He's so big that my finite man can't, can't fully grasp who he is. But I would say a lot of that just comes down to, God, I just maybe don't really think you're that awesome. I don't know if I think that you're, you're as glorious and great as you truly are. And I think we, a lot of us really struggle with that, that we just reduce God. And many times we think, that God is just kind of a slightly better, slightly bigger version of ourselves. You know, hey, hey God, you, you make us feel good about ourselves. We think that God is the best way for us to have the kind of life that we want and to be happy. And since God is only slightly better than myself, only just a, maybe a little bit holier than myself, God, it's not really that big of a deal if I sin against you because you're really you're not that big of a deal. And then this is what a pastor, J.D. Greer, he's a pastor in North Carolina, this is what he says. He says, we have a diminished view of God that for a while it's, it feels easier to believe in. He acts in ways we can understand, explain, predict, and even control. He rarely offends us, so we are not embarrassed to talk with him, talk about him with our friends. He f- helps us find our meaning and our purpose. We think everyone should just give him a try. Right? And we have this kind of small view of God. And if we have that small view of God, then our own wickedness doesn't seem like that big of a deal. And we don't actually see what a great and mighty act of mercy that God has done for us. When we have a small view of God's goodness, that we'll, we'll just keep from trusting him. 
because we don't really know if he's good. And here's something that I do because I, I sometimes have a small view of God's goodness. I think that I have to pray kind of in a certain way sometimes so that I could kind of talk God into caring about me. If I would just pray like this, then God will care. Then he'll listen. I just have a small view of God's goodness. And if we have a small view of God's power, that will cause us to think that he just cannot account for the complexities of creation and the mysteries of suffering. Right? We reduce them. We make them comfortable for us. And, and many times we make God mainly about us and our lives. That, that, that we believe that God is primarily about our own happiness and we place ourselves at the center of our own lives. So they used to think that the earth was at the center of the solar system and that everything else, the sun, the planets, everything just revolved around the earth, right? But then over years of, of looking at things and, and exploring, they discovered, wait a minute, no, no, it's not. The earth is not at the center of the solar system. It's actually the sun because the earth is too small to actually hold everything in its place. It's, it's not big enough. It doesn't have enough mass. It doesn't have enough gravitational pull to help keep all of the planets in its, in its orbit. But the sun is big enough. It has enough power. And the sun is actually at the center of the universe because it has that kind of gravitational pull and power. And just like the earth, we aren't big enough to be at the center of our own lives. We're, we don't have that kind of power. We don't have that kind of greatness. Only God is that big. And when we... And we have this kind of diminished, this smaller view of God. Instead of placing God at the center of our lives, we make God a part of our lives. Right? Hey, it's Sunday. Man, it's church time. It's God time. That's what I'm, that's a part of my life. Or we want God to be part of our family because, hey, I really want my kids to turn out good. Or God, hey, you could be a part of my finances, but not all of it because they're still mine, and I'm really afraid of what you're going to tell me to do with them. God, I'm going to make you a part of my relationships, but not all the way, because if all the way, I might have to change the way that I treat somebody or interact with them. And with this kind of divin diminished view of God, a small view of God, that kind type of faith in a small God isn't going to sustain itself. God just isn't big enough in our own minds. And he'll never incite passion or devotion or worship because we kind of just make him too small in the way that we perceive him. And if I don't know really how amazing God is, I'm going to continually look for something else that I think is actually worthwhile, that can fill the longings of my soul that I can give all of my life to. I'll keep looking for it outside of God. But the more and more that I look at him and see him for who he really is and how good and great he is, then I know that he is big enough to satisfy me. I will change the way that I think, the way that I act, and I will definitely change the way that I worship and respond to him when he speaks because he is that good. And Paul is saying and he's praying for these Christians in Ephesus. He's like, I'm praying for you that you can know God 
really know him close and to know really how big and amazing he is. He's not some small, puny little God. He is incredible. And actually, I can't even describe his power. It's immeasurable. Later on, Paul says, I, would, I hope that you can know of his love for you, but it's unfathomable. He's that big. You can't be bored with God. And so a question I have for you is, where are you getting your idea from God? Or getting your idea of God from? Is it from the scriptures, from what, how he's revealed himself, or is it your own mind? And are we, are we praying this prayer for, for us? God, I just, God, I pray that, that people at our church, people in our community, people in this city can know you. You're the only hope of this world. I'm praying for the nations that they can know Jesus, their Savior. Are you praying for yourself in this way of, God, man, the reason I exist, the reason that I'm here is to know you. Please help me to know you more. I want to see you. Are you praying that for yourself? I met my wife, Chrissy, at a camp in Missouri. And, you know, we started to get to know each other a little bit and, and got to know that, oh, hey, she, she, likes, she likes Husker football. Um, that's pretty good. Yeah, I like that. Hey, um, you like playing sports. Boom. Hey, uh, hey, your favorite movie is Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. I'm liking what I'm getting to know about this gal. And hey, you know, I'd like to get to know you so that we can continue to be friends. Except I don't want to be just friends. <laughs> you know, I, I, and so after camp, I, I asked her out on this date because, hey, I want to get to know her. I, I want to take, hey, let's take that, that relationship to the next level. And so we start dating. We get to know each other. And, and man, I want to spend more time with her. And eventually it comes that I get this, this decent, sizable amount of money. And I go and buy a diamond. And I cook up this plan, and I think, okay, hey, I, how do I get her alone by herself? Um, and how do I, you know, talk to her about this? And then I'm going to get down on one EM, and I'm going to say, will you marry me? Because I want to know you even more. Is your pursuit of God anything like that? Is your pursuit of God so intentional, something so ferocious, relentless, because you really want to know more of him. Are you seeking him in his word to hear what he's saying? Are you seeking him in prayer? Are you seeking him in community with others? And I'm just going to put a plug in here. I mean, are you in a city group? The, one of the best ways for you to know God is, is with other people in community. I mean, are you, are you in a city group? And not only is that helping you to get to know God more, but you're helping other people to get to know God more. And so if, if you're not in a group, you're just missing out. Get in one. What you doing? Get in one now, today. Email me. Find somebody and just be like, I'm going to your city group. Right? And if they look at you weird, just be like, Ricky told me I'm still going. Right? Paul says this in Philippians 3. He says, I count everything lost. Everything a loss for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. Be intentional, be relentless, because you want to know the one who created you, your Savior. 
more and more because he is that great and he is that worth knowing. <clears throat> Let's keep reading. So Paul is praying for that. In verse 18, he says, Hey, I'm praying that having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable, you can't even measure it, greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule, all authority, and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. So second observation, second point, Paul is praying for better spiritual vision. He's praying for better spiritual, spiritual vision. Now I wear contacts. And about once a year I have to go to the optometrist. And some of that's because they make you do that so that you order more contacts. But also I want to go in there because I want to make sure that I can see the best that I possibly can. Now for those of you who have gone, you notice that, that this whole procedure, it involves a little bit of pressure. Okay, so because... The optometrist, he has this big device thing with all these different lenses and these things that you look through, and he kind of puts that on your face. And then he gets up real close, and he says, and then you're like, oh, man, it's like, it's like onions or something, man. Tic-tac. Um, he gets up there, and he says, all right, tell me what looks better, number one or number two? Number one or number two? And you're like, man, I want to make sure I get the right one. Which one do I think? But two, two, it's two. And then he gets up there, and you're thinking, yeah, I'm good. And he's like, all right, now tell me which one's better. Great. Number three? Number four? Number three? Number four, you know, or about the same. Uh, I don't know, I don't know, you know. And then, I mean, then you have this other test where these, these two dots, and he's like, okay, well, now tell me when these dots are directly in line with one another. Uh, 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 now, no, 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 now, now, no, you passed it. You go back, go back. It was back in the you know, line up there. And so you go through all of this thing so that you can make sure that you see the best that you possibly can. Now, I will admit, and that's a little bit dorky, but I'm just, I'm just being honest. Sometimes I think like, man, I want to come out of there. I want to be like, have awesome vision. So that I come out of there and somebody standing next to me, I'm like, oh, hey, hey, you see that in the old village inn parking lot? You see that ant crawling around? And they're like, what? I can't see that far. And you're like, oh. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I got these new contacts. Um, I could see over there. Like, I have eyes like an eagle. I can see into your mind with these things. You know, I mean, that would just be awesome. And again, all of this is to just so that I can see better what is actually there. And Paul is saying, hey, I'm praying this for you, that the eyes of your heart, that all of you, yourself, can see God for just how glorious he is. And so the, he, he lists these, these three things out there. He says, hey, I'm praying that you would know the hope that you'd be able to see. The eyes of your heart may be enlightened to see the hope that you have, the riches in your inheritance, and the power of his might of those towards us who believe. And again, really, all of these things that Paul is saying, it's really just to point us to, hey, I really want you to know God more. And these are three things that I'm praying for you that, so that you can know God more. And so first, the hope that God has called us. Now, this hope is, is, is a current hope that we have in, in our salvation. Again, Paul had just been talking to them, hey, there's all these things that I want you to see, that you've been adopted, you've been forgiven, you've been sealed with the Spirit, redeemed, chosen. And he wants, hey, I want you to not just think, oh, hey, the salvation that I have in God is, is pretty cool. It's pretty good. 
Paul's saying, no, I want you to know of this amazing hope that you have in Jesus. Never let this get old. Never let this be mundane. Never, never not be amazed that he showed his love towards you, that while you were still a sinner, while you wanted nothing to do with him, that he still died for you. I want you to know that, that Jesus paid the price for your sin and saved you because of his grace. You did nothing to earn it, can't do anything to deserve it, but he was punished for your sin and that you can be forgiven because of Jesus. I want you to see the amazing hope that you have in Jesus. And I would say, I mean, maybe the whole Bible is just trying to show us the hope that we have in Jesus. I mean, his love is incomprehensible. Paul says that later. He, he forgives the unforgivable. In Hosea, we see how God loves the unlovable. He defeats the undefeatable with sin and death. He rescues those who can't be rescued with the lost coin, the lost sheep. He redeems those who are not redeemable. We just talked about it a couple weeks ago. He chooses those who wouldn't choose him. He pursues the deserters. He takes us out of darkness into his light, and he gives new life to the dead. We have an amazing hope. And I don't have to wake up in the morning and think, God, do I measure up? God, can I, can I hit every check? God's like, no, you can't. You can't measure up. But I've measured up for you. You don't have to perform for me because it's already been done for you in Jesus Christ. We have this amazing hope now, and we also have this amazing hope in the future knowing that I get to be with him forever. And I also get to have this hope in knowing that God will restore everything. That he will usher into the completeness of his kingdom and he will wipe away every tear. And there will be no more suffering, no more shame. Because God has made it right in Jesus Christ. And the second thing that Paul is saying, hey, I want your eyes, I want you to be enlightened to this, to see this, is the riches of his, his, riches of his inheritance. Now, this is talking about God's inheritance. We, you know, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, we are God's inheritance. Now, remember when we were uh, at this preaching retreat and we were talking about these passages, preparing for all of this, I remember thinking, that seems kind of weird. I mean, when I usually think of an inheritance, I think, hey, if I get an inheritance, I'm getting some valuable things, some things that are really worth a lot. I'm getting, you know, maybe just some money. I'm getting a house that can be converted into money. I'm getting jewelry that can be converted into money. Um, I can get money, um, you know, something that's, that's valuable. I mean, like, man, who knows what I could do with this money? I mean, the, the, the sky is the limit. I mean, I could be buying the, the village in and let's restore that thing. Man, I'm just, what can happen? Um, I'd probably actually go with the canes or something. But, um, but I think, hey, this is something valuable. And then when we're reading this of like, hey, wait a minute, I'm God's inheritance? Me? God, do you know what I've done? Even while I've been a Christian, even while I've been in ministry, God? I've done some things that, that I know were wrong. That were detestable to you. God, I'm, I'm just letting you know, I feel like you're getting kind of the bum into this deal. And God's like, I know exactly what I'm doing. I actually, I know your darkness better than you do. But I've bought you. 
with my blood. I love you. You are mine because you are my special treasure. You're my inheritance. And again, this isn't because of what we have done. This is pointing to the goodness of God right here. What God has made us because of Jesus. And this can only happen because we are in the perfect righteousness of Christ. We're in Christ. God is saying, hey, that's how I view you. You're mine, my special treasure. I've bought you. And next, the last thing that Paul is, is saying, hey, I really want the eyes of your heart to see this. I want you to see his power toward us who believe. Again, Paul is writing to these people in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus, I mean, there's this giant temple there that is one of the seven ancient wonders of the world to a pagan god. There are people there practicing in the magical arts. There's occult worship going on. All of these things are going on. And how are you going to live in a place like that? You could live in a place like that knowing my God is greater. My God has power over all of these things. He's bigger. Later on, Paul talks about this spiritual battle that we face. How can we face that spiritual battle? God's power. If, if we're going to endure big troubles, big tribulations, we need to know that someone is more awesome than the tribulations that we face. And we don't need a Jesus that is merely the missing piece of our dissatisfied life. We need somebody that is great, that is all-glorious, this mighty Savior that is in control of everything, that we can have all of our confidence in. His immeasurable greatness, his immeasurable power. And how, and how does Paul point to this power? Like, hey, for us to get to know this, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. He points to the resurrection. Jesus conquered sin and death. How can I face temptation of sin? Well, because I know that Jesus conquered sin. How can I face sickness or disease in this fallen world? Why? Because I know that Jesus ultimately conquered death. Death does not have the final say because it's been defeated by the blood and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that doesn't mean to minimize the, the, the disease that we face or these troubles that we face. They're real and they're hard. And they're, they're not fun. But we have a God who is bigger than those things. A God who rules everything, who is completely and in charge. And Paul says he is far above all rule and authority. Not just in this time, but also in the age to come. And so how can I face the storms of life? Because I know that I have a God who is with me that is bigger than those storms. I mean, even like when you think of maybe going to work tomorrow, how can I face these coworkers and, and they don't really believe in Jesus? How can I face them? And, and what does that even look like to engage this world that just doesn't, doesn't believe in Jesus and doesn't know him? Let's look at verse 23. And it says, Jesus is the head of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus is the head of the church. And so if you're wondering, hey, who's the real lead pastor of this church? It's Jesus. We're not, we're not following me or Mo or Austin. We're following him. He's the one who's awesome. And he's the one that is, that is leading us. And Christ 
fills us. He is with us, filling us. We are not alone. We don't have the power. We can't have the power to face this life alone. And he, he's saying, I am filling you. I'm filling you with my grace, with my power, with my presence, with my spirit, with me, with you. And the more and more that we know him, the more and more that we're going to be influenced by him, and the more and more that his character is going to become more of who we are, and his love will fill us. And then we represent Jesus to the world as he fills us. And so Paul is saying, you want to know how, how God's plan to fill this world with his glory? He's filling you, his church. Because through you, church, this world is going to see how you're forgiven, how you're loved, how you're redeemed, how you're rescued, how you've been saved by nothing of your own goodness. And they're going to see that through you as I am with you, filling you with my power and my presence. We get to follow Jesus in that, knowing that he is with us. And, and I just want you to think for a moment. I mean, God is, is amazing. He's incredible. And he wants us to know him. I and mean, this isn't just Paul's prayer. Paul's really expressing the heart of God. God is saying, I want you to know me. We get to know God. And if you're here today and, and, and you don't really know God, you really don't know Jesus, maybe you haven't given your life to him, I just want to say you can know him today. You could trust in Jesus, he, even though he knows how you've sinned, that you've fallen short, that you can't clean yourself up good enough, you can't fix yourself up enough. You could just trust in him that, hey, I am a sinner, but Jesus has paid the price for me. Jesus died and paid the price for my sin, and he rose again, and I can be forgiven. I can have new life because of what Jesus has done for me. So you can know him. I mean, and, and following Jesus isn't always easy, but he is so worth it. So worth it. And if you have trusted in Jesus, I just want to encourage you, don't be content with having him be part of your life. Don't be, don't be content with just saying, hey, I have enough of God. Because we can think that sometimes, that, hey, I, I, I think I know God well enough, or I know the Bible well enough. And we might not exactly always say that, but we live like that many times. Don't be complacent. I mean, Paul is praying here to basically kill Christian complacency. And so, just continue to know God more and more. He isn't boring. Continue to pursue Him more and more because nothing, nothing compares to the greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. And just as Paul was praying for these Ephesians to know God more, I just want to pray for you too in the same way. So let's pray.